Uh, this afternoon, I am going to uh, take us through a short chronology of Doug's life. Many of us uh, know Doug very well, and we know these tidbits. Maybe we don't know them all in, in sequential order, and hopefully I've got them in, uh, in somewhat of a close-to-proximity order of Doug's life. But uh, some of you are here today, and you're probably just here because you love Sue. Maybe you never had a chance to meet Doug or whatever. This is going to tell you a little bit about our brother. So let me begin. Doug was born to Sherlock and Lena May in May of 1941. His dad was a draftsman in the shipyard, and his mom was a stay-home mom along with the school bus driver. So I guess she drove the bus and stayed home the rest of the time, something like that, Tom. Uh, he joined a two-year older brother, Ronnie, when he was born, and he would be followed by his youngest brother, Tom, a few years later. Growing up for Doug was pretty carefree and one of those fun childhoods. The Redmond family lived near the woods and near five ponds, and so Doug and his brothers grew up outdoors, riding their bicycles and playing in the woods and fishing. His family loved the beach and the water, and so they had a boat. And so Doug grew up skiing and fishing and crabbing uh, on the James River and other bodies of water. Doug's older brother, Ronnie, loved cars, and he passed that love on to Doug. Most of us that knew Doug knew that, that he had a penchant for cars. But Sue wanted me to tell you that he had a penchant for cars and for boats and for airplanes, and I guess every Everything that had an engine in it. He, uh, in his early, early years, he had a 55 Chevy, and I think Tom said that was one of his favorite vehicles. After Doug graduated from Warwick High School in 1959, uh, he began to work in the shipyard, and he would actually work in the shipyard at several times throughout the course of his life, and, and then experiencing lay layoffs or uh, those cutbacks, he would lose his job, but then would come back later. In 1962, he took off for Letourneau uh, Tech, it was called back then, but he only attended a semester. His dad had a heart attack and was seriously ill and in the hospital for months, actually, so Doug came home to help his mother with his father, uh, who passed away in May of 1963. In the early part of 1964, Doug joined the Marine Reserves and would serve until his honorable discharge in 1969. Now, some of the things I'm going to share with you overlap that time period. During this time, Doug worked an assortment of different jobs, such as a welder and a machinist. And uh, when the children were young, Doug's parents began to attend Denby Baptist Church, and their lives were changed by Jesus. And so Doug grew up in a committed Christian home, and at the age of six, I always heard Doug say five, but Sue said six, so he was a young guy, right? He was a young guy. He professed faith in Jesus, and his own testimony was that he followed Jesus from that point forward and did not walk away from that uh, back to those years in the reserve, Doug um, had various jobs, but he also had various ministries, which maybe you know about. Some of you are here probably because of some of those ministries. Doug was in charge of the Bible clubs in various schools, and he helped with the youth at Denby. I met somebody this morning who was here today, and she was a part of Doug's youth group back, back then, and maybe some others are here because of that. One evening in 1968, he was coming home from a Bible club uh, in York County High School, and he was riding his motorcycle, and some driver uh, forced him off the road. It was what they call a hit and run, although I don't think he hit Doug. He forced him off the road but did not stop, and he was never found. But Doug went into the ditch. He rode the ditch until he hit a post, and the accident was so bad that Doug was declared 
dead on the scene. And so they carried his body to the hospital, to the morgue. And uh, as I remember Doug telling the story, he's laying on the gurney, his hand is off the gurney, and a medical personnel stops by and says, why are his fingernails not blue? And ordered him to be, ordered that corpse to be given, if you would, a pint of blood. And this time they were able to get a heartbeat and a pulse, and they saved Doug's life. Doug always credits his dog tags that he was wearing that night to also saving his life because it had his blood type on him, and they were able to rapidly, without having to do any research, just give him a pint of blood, and that's when they found his pulse. And of course, he was in the hospital about three weeks, but he recovered from that. He had some memory gaps afterwards. Tom told me that uh, while he was in the hospital, Doug was saying, y'all got to get my motorcycle here so I can ride it home when I'm discharged. I think that would have taken a while for him to ride again uh, after that accident. It was on New Year's Eve of 1972 that Sue remembers hearing Doug Redman's name for the first time. She and Jeannie were a singing duo, missionary duo, and they went actually around the world singing. And she, had, she and Jeannie had been invited to uh, Denby Baptist Church to sing. And she said, I didn't meet Doug, but I heard his name for the first time in 1972. I doubt she remembered it, but a year later, she was back in the, in, on New Year's Day of 1973. And this time, she not only heard his name, but she met Doug, who was working with the youth. And Doug asked her and Jeannie to sing in the next day or so at a boys' detention home that uh, Doug was working uh, with. And so Sue went and sang at the detention home. Uh, nothing happened for the next year. The following year went by, and... Uh, and I, this is what I think, Sue. I think Doug was thinking you were going to come back on New Year's and he was going to make his move then. But uh, <laughs> I've got it in my notes. Man, Doug was a slow mover. That's all I've got to say, right? <laughs> but uh, so Doug, uh, so the following uh, New Year's Eve, they weren't invited back. And so Doug's up a creek without a paddle, right? So here's what Doug does. He has a friend called Sue and say, can you come down here and so Doug can take you out? And Sue's words to that friend were, if Doug wants me to go out, Doug's got to call me. And uh, five minutes later, Doug called her. And, uh, and so she came down, even though she wasn't singing. I don't, you know, I mean, they had, she knew his name, she met him, and then she came back the following year. And they went on various dates when she came down, stayed with some mutual friends. They went on various dates. Doug took her to the, all the historical sites around here and actually to a, a double date at Strawberry Banks restaurant, those of us that know about that. So he took her there. Uh, it's kind of funny. I'm going to tell the story because Sue told it to me, but during that, those dates, Doug would ask her all kinds of questions like, what kind of housework did she not like to do? <laughs> and, and, and those of us that know Doug, we, we get this, right? She says, Doug's trying to be sneaky, but it's not going over on me. He's trying to find out what kind of wife I'm going to be. You know, that's what he's trying to find out. One thing she did remember about that date, though, or one of those dates, was that Doug reached over and held her hand. And so I guess the rest of it is history. They started dating by letters. Now, remember, this is in January. They started dating by letters uh, at a distance. But 23, year, 23, 23 days later, Doug flies up to Lancaster and, uh, and asks Sue to marry him. <laughs> he takes three years, <laughs> but then 23 days, right? So um, <laughs> Sue said, Doug, I got to pray about this. But 20 minutes later, she, I guess she's praying under her breath. But 20 minutes later, she says, okay. And they were married in June of 1970, June of 1974. So that was a, 
a short courtship and a short engagement for sure. About the same time uh, that they got married, Doug took his first vocational job in ministry, and he became the youth director, vocational youth director at Denby Baptist, where he and Sue would serve for the next two years. In 1976, they packed, the ba- packed their bags and headed back to Letourneau for Doug to get his engineering degree, and they would be there from 1976 to 1981. Doug was a full-time student and worked a part-time job, and uh, Sue got her PhD degree. If you don't know what that is, that's your putting, putting hubby through degree, right? <laughs> and she worked for the Gablers. Uh, some of us would remember the Gablers actually came here because of their ministry, Doug and Sue's relationship to them. They came here years and years ago. But she worked for the Gablers during that time. In 1981, when they returned, Doug lacked three classes to finish his degree. And like all of us who have been in this boat, I'm sure Doug thought within a year I'm going to get those, those classes, but it wouldn't be till 1989 when Doug would finish those classes and return to Letourneau, now Letourneau University, and receive his Bachelor of Engineering degree. In, uh, in 1989. When they returned home in 1981, so we're going back a little bit in time, they lived uh, f- their first two years in Newport News with Doug's mother, but then in 1983, they moved out here to Surrey, rented a house out on the river while they built, I guess while they built their log cabin or would buy that log cabin, but uh, from 1983 and on, they lived out here in Surrey. Doug worked a number of different, uh, for a number of different firms, including Rickman Engineering, Sussex Surrey Authority, and the Newport News Housing and Redevelopment Authority, which he would retire from them in, from there in 2007. For the first a few years, they lived out here. They continued to travel back and forth to Denby uh, Baptist Church. But in 1986, some uh, friends of theirs who had been at Denby, who now were part of Bacon's Castle family, uh, Charlie and Vivian uh, Taylor, invited them to come and visit Bacon's Castle. And so in 1986, they became a part of our church family and have been a part of our church family ever since then. Doug would become a pillar of grace and kindness and spiritual maturity in our church family. He would be instrumental in helping lots of young couples as they began to follow Jesus and go on to maturity. This day is about Doug, but it's really hard to separate Doug and Sue, isn't it, everyone? <laughs> so uh, you know, when I say Doug, please know I'm saying Sue too, right? So the two of them became pillars uh, of kindness and, uh, and leadership in our church. Uh, Doug and Sue would begin what we would, we would call today our home groups. They would begin our first home group, even though it wasn't called that back then. Uh, Ronnie Atkins called me this week, and he said, I won't be there. He said, but I want you to tell everyone that Doug contributed to my spiritual growth uh, more than anything. And those Saturday night fellowships we had at the Redmond House, where, and I quote him now, we became connected and deepened our walk by getting real. It was a special time. So in 1986, Doug would join the Gideon International, and and I happen to know there's a bunch of Gideons here uh, with us today, and he would serve faithfully in that ministry. He would serve in different capacities. I think the president of the Smithfield camp uh, at one point, and he was uh, even up until recently, I think, a speaker for the Gideons going from church to church. He would retire in 2007, and in 2007, Doug's full-time job became to take care of Sue. And uh, so he was responsible to get her breakfast in the morning. And all of you other ladies, you don't get any ideas, all right? He would fix her breakfast in the morning, warm up the car, and take care of the home. And after she would leave, Doug would go out into his shop and tinker all day out in his shop. In his retirement, Doug loved Alaska. They visited Alaska on three cruises. 
Um, I neglected to put in my notes, but I do want to mention Doug loved music, and Beulah was one of his big loves playing the stand-up bass. And uh, unfortunately, as we probably all know, for the last few years, Doug's hearing has been failing him, and so in some ways, that's been very isolating for Doug personally uh, and his relationships with you and his relationship with our church. It's, it's made it really hard for him because he just hasn't been able to hear very well. And you compound that with the last uh, couple of years anyway, a degree of dementia beginning to, to set in. So it's not just hard of hearing, but it's also uh, hard processing for Doug, processing things that would have been absolutely so simple for him most of his life. Back at the end of last year, they discovered uh, Doug had a mass on his kidney, and it seems that the cancer had spread to several other organs, and so, again, I'm telling you stuff that you all know, but death overtook Doug much more quickly than... uh, Sorry, than any of us thought it would. So at this time, that's Doug's life in a nutshell, everyone. But at this time, I'm going to ask uh, three men in our church, Mike, Ethan, and John, if they would come up and uh, now I'll let Mike introduce this. As Jimmy said, uh, my name is Michael. This is Ethan. This is John. We are all Sue Redmond prodigies. (laughs) Um, No, really, we all got our start in music, really, ultimately, from Miss Sue, free of charge. And wow, what an impact has that made on our life? And this song that we're going to play is called Yesu, Joy of Man's Desire. Uh, And this is a song that Miss Sue taught us. And Mr. Doug used to play this song on stand-up bass uh, alongside of us. Um, And another way to put this title, I think, would be to say, Jesus, the joy and fulfillment of man's longing. And I think we can all attest in this room that for Doug Redmond, Jesus was the joy and fulfillment of his longing. Jesus was his greatest desire and his greatest pleasure. And I challenge you, as you hear this song now, and as you hear this song in the future, it's a song that's common at weddings, right? It's a song that you'll hear again in the future, that you would be reminded of Doug Redman, and you would be challenged to think about, is Jesus my greatest joy? Is he my fulfillment? Is he my desire above all else? And you remember that he was for Doug. And you'd be challenged to do the same.
so when we were preparing for today, uh, talking with Sue, we wanted to give you a chance to share something you might want to share about Doug. Sue has only one request, and there's so many people here, and some of you are, many of you are Gideons. You're laughing because you know exactly what I mean by that, right? So, so I'm going to be the timekeeper. So we have just a couple of requests. One, that you be brief, okay? That you be brief. Remember, there's a lot of people here, and a lot of people might want to say something, okay? And the other thing is, Sue, Sue said, Jimmy, I don't want to miss anything. And you know, Sue's hearing. It's not like it used to be either. And so she needs you to speak into this microphone so that she can hear you. So if you're going to be willing to come and share a remembrance about Doug, would you take this and just aim it at your mouth? And, and unfortunately, these mics are not made to be done like this. They're made to, I'm, I'm on this mic, but they're made to be spoken like this. So get near the mic so that Sue uh, can, can hear. So uh, you be thinking, you'll have um, a few minutes. Like I said, I'm going to watch the clock. I mean, this could really get out of hand. And uh, I'm sure Doug wouldn't want us to miss the Super Bowl tonight. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing, of course, um, but uh, anyway, Tom, Tom's going to go first. Tom is Doug's brother, so Tom, you come on up and go first, and then after Tom, if you just, if you're willing to share a little story, a little anecdote about Doug, or just something you want to say about him, then just follow Tom. Tom? Okay. I'm glad he's keeping the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've got just a few little incidents of, of varying nature. Uh, okay, great. Uh, my very first memory, my very, I mean, after 75 years, a lot of them have fallen out, but my very first memory was, I was a toddler, we were in the backyard, and it was Ronnie, Dougie, and me, Tommy, because that's what mom called us, Ronnie, Dougie, and Tommy. We all dropped that E after, you know, after we left, but uh, we were in the backyard waiting for supper to get ready. And so while we were in the backyard, I, I said my first word. And it, was, it wasn't the usual. It wasn't mommy or daddy. It wasn't any of that. It was a word that I had heard lots, lots. And so I blurted it out. And it was no. And they liked that. It really did. So they made a joke out of it. And so they were, they were coming up with things like, uh, are you cute? No. Are you smart? No. And they were just going through the whole list, and I was enjoying because they were laughing. You know, I was making my brothers laugh. That was cool. So I, 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 can, I distinctly remember that, but that was a good time. And it started me on a life of using the word no, so maybe that worked out. <laughs> um, another memory, uh, and this was a good memory because uh, when I got to age five and I was starting to think about school and I wanted to be able to do okay in school, and so I was learning the alphabet. And Doug sat down and worked with me on learning the alphabet. And uh, then mom and dad gave me a bunch of uh, golden books, you know, uh, uh, Jack and Jill and all the rest of those golden books things. And Doug sat down and worked with me on learning how to read those golden books. And that really did help tremendously in life. I, I, I got to say that that was a great joy to do that. Okay, so moving on, getting older. Um, we had a workshop, and it was a beautiful workshop. It was actually a, a, a barracks from uh, Camp Patrick Henry, the uh, debarkation site and embarkation site. Uh, 
after World War II, and he put it in the backyard and made it into a workshop. And we spent tons of time in that workshop, piddling and enjoying with all the different tools and things. Um, Doug would bring out the record player and play his records. He had a nice collection of all kinds of different records. Uh, in those days, he was heavy into Nat King Cole and George Benton. I think it is George Benton. So he had his collections, and uh, I had mine, which were a little different. It was Tchaikovsky, and uh, <laughs> I believe it or not, because I had seen Fantasia, and I got caught up with all the song, the music from Fantasia. But uh, anyway, uh, later on, we got into a little disagreement with Doug. Brothers disagree. Our folks know that, right? And we got into a disagreement. He was bigger than me. And uh, he let me know that he was bigger than me. I lost. Uh, but we also liked to uh, shoot targets. We had to go out and, well, Doug was decided he was going to shoot the shotgun. And so he collected a lot of his old records that he didn't really care for. They weren't up to quality. So he had this collection. He was going to set them out, and he was going to, uh, you know, uh, blow them up with a shotgun. Well, I had lost that fight, and I really didn't. Like, I knew there was no way I was going to beat that guy. Uh, however, um, when he went out that day and shot those records, somehow or other that George Benton, uh, uh, LP got in the mix and he blew up his own album. <laughs> he, for, he never did find out how that happened. <laughs> uh, later on, um, I've got to say, as we got older and got past the, the bad parts and got past the, the, uh, the uh, um, uh, the difficult times and Doug got in the reserves. He, um, was it LBJ, called up the 500,000 for the draft for Vietnam. Guess whose name was in it? And uh, so I uh, went and joined the Marine Reserves, the same unit that Doug had joined. And uh, so I talked to him about Paris Island because he knew about Paris Island, what it was going to be like. So I kind of was prepared for what the Marines were going to be like. And I got to say that his his uh, guidance really helped me tremendously, and I got and it worked really well, and helped me get through that with a lot less difficulty than a lot of the other guys. In fact, it helped me so well that I spent 40 years in the reserves rather than yeah. six. But uh, being being with uh, Doug and Sue and going over to their house and all that time that we spent over there. And seeing Doug play that bass just reminded me of how much they liked music and how much Doug liked music. And, and uh, we would talk about things like nature. We would talk about the outdoors. We'd go outdoors and go see the eagles down at the beach. And we spent a lot of time doing things like that and really enjoyed that. And his, Doug was a history buff. And I was kind of a generalist. I liked history in general and wound up getting my degree in that. He was a Civil War. He, his big thing was the Civil War, and he, he had lots of collections, and we had some good conversations about it. And, of course, this is a rich area for history, uh, so it, that gave us lots of opportunities to go and travel and see things. Um, over time, things, good things happen. Doug married this wonderful woman right here. I married Anne, my wife behind Sue. 
and Ronnie, he, he married Nancy. So we sort of split apart, you know, going different ways, doing different things, and expanding the family, and uh, uh, that's normal. But we could always pick up the phone and call each other, and we had great conversations. Ann and I, the Army managed to move me out to Fort Leavenworth, and we wound up living in Missouri, and we're still there today. And uh, being out there, we were able to, uh, I was able to call Doug all the time and tell him about whatever the latest thing was that was happening. And, you know, uh, we would come back to Virginia. We calculated, I think our last calculation was we came about, so far, about 60 times. Uh, and sometimes we'd bring our, our granddaughters, Lexi and Maddie, back here. And Lexi and Maddie, they had a great time back here, and they always wanted to see Doug and Sue. And they'd come to the house, and Doug would play his bass, and they enjoyed seeing Doug, and they would, they would listen to it and play with it and all that kind of thing. And, uh, of course, we also would have occasions when we'd go out to eat. I remember one time we went out to eat at Sam and Steve's, and uh, uh, Doug and Sue were with us, and Lexi was in Doug's lap talking to him, and we couldn't figure out why Lexi was talking to Doug, what, he was, what she was saying, what he was saying, and finally I looked down and I saw in his hand was a pack of Tic Tacs. So that explained why she was especially there. But uh, that's okay. I mean, that's, that's okay. That's all right with us. Um, they still talk about going back and seeing Doug and Sue. Um, uh, what else can I say? That's, that's the perfect end of it. Um, it just so happens that Lexi decided this year that she was going to join the uh, middle school orchestra. And so uh, she wanted the violin, but Lexi's tall. She's real tall. And because of that, they decided, you know, the bass might be the better thing for you. So she's wound up playing the bass. And uh, it's interesting because they had a citywide Corpus Christi, a citywide concert Tuesday night. And so when they found out about Doug, uh, Lexi told her, uh, she told uh, her mother she was dedicating her performance to Doug. That's all. So just just wanted to clarify, Tom doesn't count in the brief part, okay? So, <laughs> so, so the rest of you, all right. Does anybody else have something you want to share about Doug? If you, if you want to, you got to come now, okay? Come on up, Steve. Uh, one short, little quick story. Uh, Doug and I met for years and years at prayer breakfast. Most of y'all, a lot of y'all are aware of that. Uh, restaurants have nicknames for people. They don't know your name, but you're there all the time. So I'm going to share this one quick story. I went there this past Saturday to let them know Doug had passed. And I told one of the waitresses, and one of them that works, waits with us most of the time was in another part of the restaurant. She should come over there and she told me, she says, we heard Jesus died. That was Doug's nickname. Thank you. The first memory I have of Doug was when I was uh, seven or eight and it was about Doug's motorcycle accident. We all got together as a church, and we were asked to pray for him. 
I didn't know him, but I knew we needed to pray for a man. Um, and then later I found out it was Doug. And then as our youth pastor, one day he told me, he said, well, I'm going to go up and see if I can find somebody who can um, help me with the youth group. And, um, and I'm thinking, well, you know, at that time, um, there were a couple of musicians together, um, Hal Webb and um, I don't remember, Babcock. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's going to be another male counterpart. And, you know, little did I know it was Sue. Um, <laughs> well, together, they have helped to, to mold me into the woman that I am because of their leadership and because of their love and because of their guidance. And I tell Sue, she can either take credit or blame <laughs> for um, partly for who I am today and what a ministry. I drove seven hours to be here because I wanted to encourage Sue. I'll let you know, Doug was only six, almost seven years old when I first met him. I was in the cradle roll with Les Sims back here when we started going to Denby. And uh, Doug was a very instrumental part of our family and my development in the years. He was working with the youth when I was in the, in the young people's group. He continued on after I left, and he was there before with my older brother. Uh, I was at York High School when Doug and I were ministering that day in the Youth for Christ Club. I left in my 55 Chevy going one way, and he left in the motorcycle going down that two-lane highway with the big crown in the middle. That was on a Wednesday. <clears throat> we went to church for prayer meeting that night, and the pastor mentioned he had had an accident. So Rodney Hespenheide and I left the meeting and went straight to the hospital. And we were there praying for Doug that night. After he came through surgery, I remember him telling me, now that I've got that behind me and I have this big plate in my head, the only thing that doesn't work on my body that I'm aware of is my right toe and it doesn't move. <laughs> but he said, as far as I can remember, I'm not sure it moved before. <laughs> We rode motorcycles together. We just had a great time. But I remember before going, and by the way, when he used to take um, Beulah, she was too big to put in a regular spot in a car. So his 63 Chevrolet, Chevrolet, uh, Chevrolet four-speed convertible, he'd put the top down and the big old bass was sticking out the back and we'd go play and sing somewhere. I remember going to the prison in downtown Newport News. And on the way home that night, I said, Doug, do you realize what we just sang at a prison? He said, no, what? And I said, we sang, steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. I don't know. He said, you know, I never thought about that. <laughs> but I remember Doug asking me something that had the most profound change on my life. Because I was always active at Denby and in the youth group and at church Bible clubs and all that. But I kind of rode along on the atmosphere of all the leadership. And Doug asked me one time, he said, Dave, when was the last time God answered a specific request that you made? Second question, when was the last time God taught you something significant in your own private devotional life? 
And it's then that I realized that I didn't have much of devotional life. I was riding on the skirts of all the leadership in the church. And that stuck with me over the years to help develop a devotional life. So Doug will always be special. I look forward to seeing him again. God bless you. When my family was uh, here at this church for the first time, literally, my memory of that night is that I remember specifically Doug and Sue. I think I remember a couple other people, but I know that I remember Doug and Sue. And I think for me that's one of the one of the big things, and actually, Jimmy, you said it, that it's hard to separate Doug and Sue. And so my wife says, she's like, it's got to be really hard on Sue because we just knew Doug and Sue. We didn't know Doug and Sue. We just knew Doug and Sue. Everything was together. And that is a huge testimony to me. Y'all were like still best friends. I watched you like get a little tiff sometimes at the music nights because... <laughs> Sue can be snarky, and Doug was never snarky. But I don't know if he ever gave in either. He just was like really quietly stubborn or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, that's my memory. But that's, that's, the, that's the ministry blessing to me. I tell you, and the thing, I'm going to ask the Lord, because this is one thing I struggled with the last couple of years with him, was when a man has completely filled his mind with the scriptures, why does it go bad? Like, that is a has been a real kind of a hard point for me with him. Let someone's mind go bad who hasn't used it for the Lord. Give his mind to him. So that's been a tough thing. Anyway, man, what a blessing he has been in my life. And finally, he knew how to make a 454 get 24 miles to the gallon. <laughs> but I forgot to ask him how he did it. Well, everything that I've heard about Doug, I just say amen and amen. I just want to bring out one brief thing, and that is whenever Doug came to the meetings that we used to have or still have in where we live, the children, two and three years old, would, they would just gravitate to this man. They sensed how much he loved them, and it was amazing. And I, I used to think about well, what, what, is, what is in Doug that causes these little children just to want to run to him and hug on him? And the only thing I got was the scripture that Jesus said. He said, allow the children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. I believe there's, there's a sense in little children that we don't know anything about. Only God does that, and he does it by the Spirit. And one more thing I want to say for, about Doug is that he loved the word more than anything else. Amen. That man loved to pray. I, 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 I mean, anything that had to do with the scriptures and reading the scriptures and praying, he wanted to be there. And I'm thankful because the last years of his life, he and Sue, that's what they did. They distributed or helped distribute the word of God all over the world. And I thank him for that. He ran a great race. I'm Sue's brother, Roger. I have many memories of, of Doug from the time we come down here and helped him clear out where their house is now. When you come down, all you could see was woods and vines and all. That's one memory. But the best memory I have of him 
when my wife was in a wheelchair, we would come down and visit. We'd have to lift her up to their porch. He said, I'm going to fix that one of these days. So the next time we come down, he had a surprise for me. He built a ramp that went up so we could get her up on there. So my word from him is compassion. I'm Sue's brother, oldest, Dave Hellman. I'm not an orator like everybody else, so I brought my notes. <laughs> I planned a half hour today, but <laughs> I'm only going to do 30 minutes. <laughs> Douglas Paris Redmond. Family is family, but Doug was more than just a brother-in-law. He was a brother in Christ. Doug was a member of the United States Marine Corps in the early 60s, and like all Leathernecks, he retained the basic elements of the strict training that they had to go through. The Corps' motto, of course, is Semper Fidelis, or simply Semper Fi, which was their greeting to each other even long after their service ended. Semper Fi means always faithful, and that's what Doug was not only to the core, but to everything that he did. And has been told earlier about uh, his near-fatal motorcycle accident as a young man. Even after full recovery and sporting scars from that incident, he wasn't slowed down, and his faith loomed larger. He was saved for a reason, which he probably didn't realize at the time, and that was to serve God as well as mankind as best he could. Also early in his life, he was involved in youth ministry. A stint there bolstered his commitment to and knowledge of the Bible. Then he met Sue, Sue Hellman, who was also studying the Bible. They both shared an affection for music. Of course, we all know that they were married on June 8th, 1974. I know, I was there. <laughs> you can't talk about one without talking about the other in the bond of marriage. Since they met over 45 years ago, I know that they were brought together according to God's long-range plans for them in his service. Together they developed an even stronger bond with our Savior, Jesus Christ. They became members of this very church and they served in many capacities over their time here. Together they were merchants for the Gideon's International Ministry, supplying free Bibles to many. Doug was also president and church speaker. Since I've known Doug, he was always ready to talk about some of his passions, which were mentioned earlier. Some of the subjects were history, cars, planes, ships, and of course his faith. And if you truly knew him, some of his talks were kind of more one-sided. <laughs> Both of us were upright bass players, and that led to some conversations as well. And lastly, I visited Doug's obituary page several days ago and read the guest book where longtime friends and family posted things like, he could be counted on, he was kind, he was sweet, and he earned his angel wings. 
to all those statements, I say amen. God bless Sue, the rest of our family, and all of Sue and Doug's friends, and above all, their church family for their everlasting support. And we all know that he is now resting in peace with his maker. Well, I don't know any funny stories about Doug, but I know one thing, he was a godly man. And that's what I tell everybody when I talk about Doug Redmond. We used to be uh, go over there about once a month to sing and just have a good time and eat. And I loved it. If you could always feel the presence of God. Anywhere Doug Redmond was, the presence of God was there. And Sue, I love you. And I love Doug. Uh, Dave and I are Sue and Doug's, Doug's, we were Doug's neighbor and um, neighbors. And um, one, there are several things that I love about Doug. One was his kindness. He was so kind. Every time I would talk to him and ask him questions, one time I asked him, what can I do to help you to hear me better? And he said, speak slowly and low. Lower your voice, because I, I have a tendency to get excited and, and you know, kind of ramble on <laughs> and in a high-pitched voice. So, um, so I did that for him. And um, also, he, I was so impressed with how the kids really loved him. We'd go to small group at Sue's, and um, the kids, Meredith, Meredith and Matt Washam's kids, they loved him. I mean, they would just be near him and talk with him, and he would talk with them. And it was the look on his face, he'd kind of put his head to the, to the side and, and just speak very kindly to them. And, um, and, the, and like somebody else said, the kids could feel that he was genuine. He loved them, and they were safe with him. And uh, there's a lot of other things. Well, another thing I loved about Doug is every time I would go over there, he was always tinkering with something. He would, he would water the flowers. I, I would take flowers. I love flowers. I would take flowers over there and put them on their porch and stuff. He was always watering them or or looking at the eagles in the backyard and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know, I just really admired how he was. He was gentle and, and kind. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. Because um, he wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. But in heaven, he's going to be perfect. And I'm going to be perfect, and we're going to love each other perfectly with God's love. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to know him that way. Um, he was a, I hate to say he was, I have a hard, I told Sue I have a hard time with that. He's a good man, because I feel like he lives. So he's a good man, but God will make him better, and I'm excited about that. There's been a lot of talk about Doug and the children that always loved him. And I am a child of Bacon's Castle. Therefore, I'm a child of Doug and Sue Redman. 
And I feel absolutely privileged to look back on my entire childhood, and it is just laced with memories of Doug and Sue. And and my brother, he couldn't be here today, but he even said, I'm very sad. Like, my earliest memories of childhood um, involved Doug and also Sue. And he also always had a stick of gum, and he was always sharing that. So I always remember that, too. I know the hour is just a tad bit late, but if you'd allow me, I'd like to end our time with just a devotional thought. And, and I'd like to do so with three statements that Doug would make quite often. At least these are three that I heard him make quite often. And I think if he were here this afternoon, he would say the things that I'm going to say. So here we are. Here's the first one. Be prepared. And the statement that came to mind is what Doug used to say, heaven is a prepared place. Come on, don't y'all know it? Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Uh, Heaven is how we refer to being in God's presence after death. And Doug's statement says that God has prepared a place for those of us who put our faith in him. Let Let me share with you some of the things that God has said about this place. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 3, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Sue. Death will be no more. Grief and crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Then he follows and he says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and the lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. That means there will be no longer any sin or any effects of sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. God has prepared a place for us. He's prepared a place in his kingdom for those of us who love him by faith. And Doug used to remind us of that. He used to say, heaven is a prepared place. But he would also add that second half that says, for a prepared people. Maybe you'd like to live forever. Maybe you'd like to live with God forever in a prepared place that God has prepared. Maybe you don't know how to be prepared yourself. And I realize that today I'm, I'm really speaking to the choir. I'm speaking to a bunch of people who have been in ministry longer than I have and a vocational ministry maybe. They've been serving Jesus and following Jesus much longer than I have. But, but let me just tell you how you get prepared. In John chapter 3, verse 16, a very famous verse You know, I think it's either Jesus or John, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of the book of Hebrews said, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So you see, God has made a way through the Lord Jesus. Jesus bore our sins. Jesus bore our death on the cross. Now listen, Jesus used to go around and he used to say this. He used to say, come and follow me. Come and follow me. You know how you get prepared, everyone? You believe in God and you come and follow Jesus. 
I'd like to invite you this afternoon, if you would, to follow Jesus, to be prepared for the prepared place that God has ready for us. Here's the second thing that I think Doug would say to us today. He'd say, be expectant. He used to say this, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the upper taker. Yeah, y'all help me out, okay? It's supposed to be a help me out kind of talk, right? So uh, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the upper, ta- uh, upper taker. And, and so what Doug was saying was, man, I'm living in anticipation. I'm expecting Jesus to return. And indeed, all of us who follow Jesus, we should be expecting the return of Christ. Here's what it says. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica. He says, we say this to you by word of the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. We sang about that earlier. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I would say to all of us today, be expectant. Be looking for the return of Christ. The Bible says that in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of our eye, Jesus is going to step back into history. So we should be looking for him and anticipating his return. Death has taken Doug, but Doug will rise again, and we will be together forever. I've been saying this a lot lately, so I'm going to say it in this in this audience because uh, you know atheists say that we have we're, we're we're holding on to pie in the sky. Unbelievers say we're holding on to pie in the sky. Folks, listen, it is our faith, and it is not pie in the sky, but it is our faith that Jesus is going to return again. He's going to return again. He's going to come for us, and we will never, ever have to say goodbye again. So let's wake up every morning looking for the return of Christ, looking for the upper taker and not the undertaker. And the last thing that I want to share with you, and these are, these are three statements that when I thought of Doug, these three came to mind. Here's the third one, or here's the, here's the challenge, and I'll give you the statement. The challenge I would give us in this audience especially is this, be engaging. And here's the statement that Doug used to say, in order to win some, we must be Winsome. Y'all remember that? He used to say that quite often. It was one of my favorites. And, uh, and I speak of it now because most of you in this room are already following Jesus. You're already loving and trusting Jesus. And, and that's a statement for most of us in this room. If you want to win some to Jesus, be winsome. God, God has sent out a universal witness to his existence and the glory of creation. But he has given us a bright spotlight, if you would, and that spotlight is the good news that Jesus conquered death and is risen from the dead. And now he's called us to take the bright light of the gospel, the bright light of Jesus conquering death and coming again. We're to take that good news and we're to shine that light all over the world. Here's Doug's statement again, to win some. And here's what he means. He means in order to take the bright light to people. That's what he means. Now, the second statement is we have to be winsome. To shine that bright light, be winsome. And here's some synonyms for being winsome. Attractive, engaging, appealing. There's that old saying that says you can catch uh, more critters with honey than you can vinegar, right? And so in honor of Doug today, and it's just so funny, not in a ha-ha, but just funny in, in, the, in the convicting and, and god 
showing us the truth kind of way, the things I want to show, I want to give you three ways to be winsome, everyone. Three ways that I saw Doug being winsome, all right? So here's the first one. If we're going to be winsome, you've got to be real. You've got to be the real thing. How can you win anybody if you are just a fake, a facade? One of the things they tell us today is that millennials, and we have a few millennials here today, that one of the things that millennials in our generation or in this generation, millennials that are not necessarily followers of Jesus, but millennials in the world, what they want to see in people is authenticity and realness. I mean, it it doesn't matter that we're old fogey or whatever. They just really want to know, are you for real? So if you're going to win some, you need to be real. You need to be authentic, okay? Some of us play church pretty good. Some of us play being good pretty good, but we really aren't following Jesus. Let's be honest. You can be a church person, you can be a moral good person, and not be a follower of Jesus. And I'm here to say to you today, in this third point, when Doug says, if we're going to win some, we've got to be winning. I'm saying, if you're going to be winning some, be real. Be the real thing. Either that or get out of the game. Stop pretending to be something you're not. Be for real. Doug was for real. Steve, let me tell you something. Your testimony today made me cry. Man, I had to, I'm glad I wasn't speaking next. Did y'all hear what Steve said? The nickname for Doug at the restaurant was Jesus. That's being real, people. Be caring. Here's my second thing. Be caring. By this, I mean care about people. Care about people enough to tell them about Jesus. You know, I think sometimes we're just too self-absorbed. Listen, I'm speaking to you who follow Jesus. If you're here this morning, this afternoon, excuse me, and you're not a follower, I mean, you're just sitting and listening on family business, okay? But for those of you who follow Jesus, here's what I'd say to you today. Care about people. Don't be so self-absorbed that all you care about is yourself and all that you're looking for, all you're looking into is the kingdom of self. You be about Jesus, everyone. You care for people. Look beyond your own busyness and your own indifference and choose to care. And here's what I want to say about Doug. He was winsome. Doug cared. I mean, Earl's testimony about the kids coming up to him. I mean, I think that shows that he cared. You want to be winsome? Be a caring person. Here's the third thing. Be kind. (laughs) Be kind. And I guess you can be a caring person and not be kind. I guess that's possible. I don't see how, but I think it can be maybe. But kindness doesn't take much, everyone, does it? Does kindness take much from us? Doesn't take much at all, right? And one of the fruits of knowing Jesus is kindness. So you don't have to be angry with people. We don't need to be screaming and yelling at people who don't know Jesus yet. We just need to be kind people because in your kindness, you're going to be winsome so that you can win some. Doug was kind. I'm kind of chuckling under my own breath over here because somebody said it. I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, Doug was kind. Actually, I think a couple of you said it. He was kind. What would Doug say to us this afternoon? I believe Doug would say, be prepared. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. He'd say, be prepared. He'd say, be expecting, be looking for Jesus. Because I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. And I think he would say to us, be engaging In order to win some, you've got to be winsome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Doug's life. Uh, We pray that you've been honored today as we've honored one of your sons, one of your godly ones. Lord, thank you for the testimony that's come out from those who have shared just Doug's kindness, his 
his ability to love people, his desire to share Jesus, really his testimony of being Jesus in the world. Lord, so thank you for all of that. Lord, we love Doug, and as others have said, we look forward to uh, seeing him again and uh, seeing you and being together in your presence in the kingdom to come. And we would say, Lord, we're looking for you to come. And we would say, Lord Jesus, please come again. Lord, continue to, to be with Sue and the family. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.